0: Have you ever been told you don't know what you don't know? I know I have. Many times. And it's true, you simply don't know what you don't know. And here's an instance. Uh, I have a sister whose name is Margaret, and she's a good deal older than I am. There's a 14 year gap in age. And so our relationship is really kind of like a mother-daughter relationship more than big sister, little sister. One fourth of July, at the neighborhood block party, I was talking, standing around talking as you do at a block party, you know, with people, um, and I don't remember what we were talking about, but I do remember it was political. It was July 4th, 1980-something, and I was in my early 20s, a college student, and one thing that my sister doesn't love about me are my politics. There I was, youthful, idealistic, my progressive politics on display, and I must have done something really horrible. Like, say, we need to do more for the poor. Because <laughs> my sister said, I'd like to hear you say that once you're a homeowner and you have paid property taxes. Or another version of that, because that was not the only time she said something like this. Another version of this was, once you've had kids, then I'll listen to you. Because you'll know what I'm talking about. So in other words, she's saying, come back and tell me about your concerns for the world once you've been a homeowner and a parent. Once you've taken on the weight of the world. That would, that would be when you know how hard it is to provide for the people you love, let alone for the needy str- stranger in your midst. Now, I'd like to ask you to think about a popular movie, I think also made in 80, 1980-something. is uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise, A Few Good Men. And there is the famous, iconic courtroom scene, I think you know where I'm going with this, where Cruz is interrogating the witness. He's the Navy JAG in court. He's interrogating Nicholson about what happened the night of a massacre. And Nicholson shouts, you can't handle the truth. What he's saying is, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the one who was responsible for that massacre. And it was necessary in order to keep you safe. You don't know, and you don't want to know, how dangerous the world is around you. Because if you knew, you wouldn't be able to condemn me for what I did. Now, I may be reading between the lines a little bit, but you can't handle the truth courtroom scene is telling us that the world is a dangerous place. Now, um, there's something similar between these things, but don't get me wrong. I hope uh, you can see that there is a difference, even though there's some similarity, but there is a difference between what my sister Margaret said and Jack Nicholson's outburst. No matter how much we disagree, come what may, my sister is going to love me, and she and I are in a loving, caring relationship. She tells me, you don't know what you're talking about, in the best possible sense, because she believes I'm capable of learning. Both she and Nicholson are saying that we have something to learn from and about the world. But the good news is, at least in the case of my sister, the good news is that there is hope. And no matter what, because we're in a loving relationship, she will always be there to comfort me. And she has been there many times. In the Gospel for today, Jesus tells his followers that he must leave them before the Comforter can come. According to John, he says, It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come to you. Now, the Comforter is one of the many ways we name the Holy Spirit. You may be familiar with some of the others, the Advocate, the Teacher, and so on. God Jesus, and yes, God Jesus, for they are one, Jesus in God will send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will sustain us, sustain the beloved community through good times and bad. The Holy Spirit will be there with this community of Jesus followers through the new revelation of the truth that they could not bear during the time of Jesus' ministry. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. So I want to say something about the Gospel of John. It's not like uh, the other Gospels in the New Testament in, in some ways. And many of these differences are not important right now, but for one thing. And that is that the Gospel of John, some scholars believe, Is stitched together from materials that are taken from two books that are now lost. And one book is called the Book of Signs, and the other, the Book of Glory. The signs are the miracle stories that Jesus performed that are proof that Jesus is who he says he is. And John's Gospel relates these stories in the first 12 chapters. What are the signs? Well, they are the miracles that point beyond themselves to reveal some truth about God. For instance, Jesus changes water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He casts the money changers from the temple. He speaks with a Samaritan woman at the well, disclosing intimate details about her personal life, and speaks about the living water. A royal official pleads with Jesus to go with him to Capernaum to heal his sick child. And Jesus doesn't need to go to Capernaum. He heals uh, from a distance just by speaking the word. And then he feeds the 5,000, walks on water, halts the stoning of an adulterous woman, heals a man born blind, and raises Lazarus from the dead. And this is just a list of the top ten. There are many more. Now the second part of John are chapters 13 through 20, And they deal with the last week of Jesus' ministry. The last week of Jesus' life before he left this mortal coil, before it was time for Jesus to be glorified. So imagine that, right? Twelve chapters on Jesus' miracles, and then seven whole chapters on just one week alone. And today's gospel uh, comes from that bit. Uh, A little bit of this glory when Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come as an advocate and a teacher. Jesus says, in effect, now, my beloved community, you know a lot and you've seen a lot, but there's more to come. You ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus, I want to be clear that Jesus does not say you can't handle the truth. Rather, he says, you have the divine presence that will always be with you. The presence is the comforter, the advocate, that not only will reveal the truth, but will sustain you. God loved the world, but he didn't hate it or fear it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And as we go out into the kingdom of God... We will find the presence of God, and we will be the face of Christ, even in the unlikeliest of places. Now, these days we're living through a pandemic and can hardly remember, I think, what our lives were like before the coronavirus hit. Lockdowns have disrupted a lot of personal relationships. For the sick and the dying... Pastoral care has also been disrupted as hospitals and senior homes have shut down to visitors. Relational ministries of any kind were shut off, even as those most in need were isolated in pandemic care. The houseless, people in shelters, no longer had places to isolate safely. We've all been cut off. We've been isolated, some more than others and we were cut off from sacramental worship in what some have been calling a Eucharistic fast. And we've gone through so far two Easter's during that fast. Of course, not all pandemic changes are bad and there are positive opportunities. For instance, we are truly blessed to be together, to have this outdoor worship, this music worship. But there are no hugs given at the peace, and there's no communion. We've been adapting to remote forms of worship. Many times the the daily offices are available online, on Facebook, and prayers in in many forms take place remotely. And shut-ins have been able to worship more readily, because now they are connected. In our daily lives, there's been positive lessons, too. Creativity, connectivity, and flexibility are more readily at hand. And COVID itself has revealed anew issues that have been present in our midst. But COVID has stripped away the veil of denial, which we are ready to accept. The murder of George Floyd which, by the way, the first anniversary of which is on Tuesday, it's been one year, Uh, the renewed recognition of systemic racism and the discovery of inequities all around us has happened during this real-world global public health crisis. Looking ahead to what we hope will be the end of this intensive time of the pandemic, how will we reclaim what we missed most during this pandemic and continue to claim what was freeing and life-giving and continue with new or renewed revelations of where those margins are, where our presence is most essential, where we, meaning you and I, can be the face of Christ. Just in the last year, Murders, street protests, and a pandemic have made questions of social justice more visible than ever. The issues are more visible because they have invaded privileged spaces, but they have been real, if invisible, for many people for a very long time. Bioethicist Brandy Chalais tells us once the pandemic is over, there will be no going back to normal because normal only ever really worked for a pretty small group of people. I say we, may, we must have the courage to move into an unknown world where the benchmarks of normalcy will be reset. It will be our job to reset them. Whatever may come, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we bear witness to our faith, knowing that we're called to live lives of courage, love, and reconciliation in the ordinary and extraordinary moments of each day. May we be courageous today. May we learn today. May we love today. Amen.